Anybody who runs their mouth, mouth don't throw punches. Punches throw punches. The fight happens in the ring. Are you ready, champ? We gonna fight. Are you ready, champ? Like, like I cannot not be ready, right? Like, I ain't been doing my job for eight to ten weeks, right? Okay, okay. Like, I got here overnight, right? What up, what up, fight fans? <laughs> Welcome back to episode 151 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on TheBoxingRant.com. I'm Kenny Keith, and I'm joined, as always, by Vince Cummings. What up, Ben? Ken, how can I not not be ready for this podcast? <laughs> My boy Keith Thurman comes through with the victory. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And a uh, split decision victory on top of it. Keith Thurman unifies the welterweight division. Um, we're going to get to Keith Thurman, Danny Garcia, Little uh, David Hay and Tony Bellew shenanigans to discuss. Oh Jesus, what a circus that turned out to be! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a uh, and a preview of uh, uh, David Lemieux versus Curtis Stevens HBO boxing after dark returns this coming weekend. Uh, we'd like all you to drop by theboxingrant.com today for all the ways to subscribe to the Tale of the Tape Boxing podcast. You can get it on iTunes, Spreaker, and Google Play, and subscribe to the Boxing Rant. YouTube channel today. Follow Vince on Twitter at Vince Cummings 81 and follow me on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. So on episode 150, Vin, Doug Fisher, ringtv.com's editor, drops by the Tale of the Tape Boxing podcast to preview Keith Thurman versus Danny Garcia. That was damn good stuff. Absolutely. And now we have another special guest joining us all the way from California. It's Michael Montero. He's the host of Montero on Boxing's YouTube channel. He's also a writer for Boxing Monthly. And, of course, he's a panel member on the Undisputed Champion Network's 10 Count. Follow him on Twitter, at Montero on Boxing. Michael Montero, welcome to Episode 151 of The Tale of the Tape. Hey, uh, thanks so much for having me on, guys. It's good to be back, man. Yeah, it's been a long time, my friend. Yeah, a real long time. It's probably a year, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you guys just continued to blow up and uh your podcast is doing great you guys always have good stuff i loved last week's episode with doug i mean doug is like a boxing encyclopedia i could just listen to him talk boxing for hours <laughs> yeah man it, it was great to have him on uh really really good stuff from doug as always yeah no doubt about it but uh michael montero joins us today to talk about the uh, happenings of last night as it was showtime on cbs 9 o'clock Eastern time, presented by Premier Boxing Champions, 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 Champions. Of course, they had to fit that in at the end. <laughs> uh, it was, With the Hans Zimmer music, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it was a welterweight unification fight as the WBA welterweight champion, Keith Thurman, squared off against the WBC's champion, Danny Garcia, at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. The fight ended up going the distance. Keith Thurman comes out on top with a split decision victory. Guys, this was Thurman versus Garcia. Huge buildup. Big event. Great turnout for the Barclays Center considering what they've been turning out there and all the fights they've had over the last two years. But Keith Thurman comes out on top. What do you think of the fight, Mike? Um, you know, I, I thought that it was a, a good fight because there was some tense moments. There was, uh, you know, you talked about the crowd, which was, I think, Barclay's biggest crowd for a boxing event. So, and the crowd was, you know, into it. it. It seemed like an actual boxing crowd. It didn't seem like some of the papered crowds we've seen before with PBC. All that being said, it wasn't a great fight. 
you know, it was a pretty good fight. There was some good moments, some exchanges here and there. But for the most part, it pretty much went the way I thought it would. Um, I thought Garcia made some adjustments in the middle rounds after losing the first third of the fight. Um, and then Thurman made a counter adjustments, and I thought he won down the stretch. He probably gave away a couple of later rounds by running a little bit. But at that point, he had built up such a big lead. But it was these are two natural counter punchers. You know, Keith Thurman's nickname of one time, that's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not, it is. <laughs> he's not a seek and destroy kind of fighter. He doesn't sit down on his punches and throw them properly. He lunges in. He lands some of them. But, you know, uh, Garcia's balance was so good, he was able to withstand them. And Thurman wasn't throwing them off the back foot. He was lunging in and throwing right hands off the lead foot, which is a, a no-no in boxing. Your head should never go past your front foot. But, you know, all things considered, again, pretty good fight. I'm interested to see what kind of rating it does. I, I hoped it would have been a little bit better, but it pretty much went the way I thought it would. I think the numbers came out, at least pre- preliminary numbers, are 2.69 million on the viewers, which isn't bad, but I expected a little more. I don't I don't know about you. I, I Yeah, I, I was – in fact, I tweeted about it before uh, the fight, I think Friday – uh, just, you know, doing a little poll on my channel. And most people responded thinking it would do north of $4 million because both of these guys, both Garcia and Thurman, have been averaging 2 to $3 million somewhere in there for their uh, last couple of primetime events, I think, at least on, you know, network TV. And the thing is, there wasn't much competition last night on the other networks. Now, I didn't realize there was a UFC card last night, but that was pay-per-view. So I'm not sure, man. If they only if they did less than three million, that's actually a disappointment, in my opinion. Yeah, considering you know the outlet that they're on. I mean, look, I I think they did a decent job, you know, as as goes PBC standards for promoting a fight. Once again, it was a late push. It got loud late. This fight was announced so long ago. I mean, you heard Danny Garcia talk about it in the All Access about how, man, I've never had to wait six months where I could just focus on one guy for six months leading up to this thing. Um, look, you know, the crowd turned out, but like you said, Mike, I mean, they were definitely engaged to it, but they were also engaged to the point where when things got stale, (laughs) they let the fighters know that as well. Yeah. I think that Barclays is kind of turning into an East coast stub hub center. As far as the crowds that are showing up there, it does seem that there's, uh, that's the spot to go for diehard fight fans now. And the thing about diehard fight fans, it will give you their damn opinion. And if, if you're not putting on a show for them, they're going to let you know it. I think, you know, to Thurman's credit, he didn't let the crowd get to him. I said it in, in all of my prediction videos and everything that I wrote before the fight that he could not fall into Danny Garcia's game and, you know, just lunging in. And he did that in the early rounds where I thought he looked really sloppy. And it was probably that ring rust. But he tightened up and he started fighting on the outside more. It wasn't very compelling stuff, but that's what he needed to do to win this fight, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think for four or five rounds last night, we had a a pretty good fight. I think, it, you know, you heard the bell ring after the fourth, fifth round. There's a, there was a little flurry at the end of the round. You went, all right, man, this is we got ourselves a, a, a really good fight so far. I'd like to see where this is going to go. And then all of a sudden, I, I want to say seventh, eighth round, Thurman just decided that I guess he had banked enough. He had banked enough rounds. He started taking his foot off the gas. And you're right. He just 
in his offensive attacks, even when he did, you know, in the middle to late rounds, unleash in little flurries, he was wildly inaccurate. Uh, you know, I, I hate to, you know, he deserves all the credit in the world for unifying the welterweight division against a tough fighter in Danny Garcia. And I don't want to sound like I'm downplaying his performance in the fight, but it's just, he, he leaves, he leaves you wanting more. He left a lot on the table as far as, and he hurt him in the first round. If he could have dropped him, or even, you know, if he could have finished the fight strong, it would have done a lot more for his career moving forward. I think people had a little bit of a sour taste in their mouth at the end of that fight, expecting it to be bigger than what it was. Well, you know, what I noticed with the trainer, Dan Birmingham, and, and it was also kind of on the other side with with Angel Garcia was there was definitive tones being set in the corners for what they did show on CBS, and they were two different tones. They were two different narratives, two different storylines, but they actually both were talking about the same thing because Dan Birmingham, I think, may have enabled Keith Thurman in the corner to behave the way that he did, coasting to victory there at the end, getting on his bike, staying safe, because Dan Birmingham from about the, I don't know, the second round on after he stunned Garcia in the first round, his tone was nonstop confidence. You got this. You're winning. Stay calm. Mm -hmm. Don't get in trouble. Activate the jab, blah, blah, blah. And then on the other side, you had Angel Garcia, which completely contradicts his fucking robbery uh, scheme at the end of the fight. And, uh, during the, unfire, the entire fight, Angel Garcia was, he, he held the tone of a trainer whose son was getting beat. He sounded defeated in the corner. He did. Yeah, and in the post-fight press conference, uh, Angel Garcia was saying, oh, I'm, I'm fucking disgusted with boxing. <laughs> I, I wish Danny would retire. And, you know... I understand you have to protect your fighter. You have to play some of that shit up. But I, I just wish we had more honest fighters and, and trainers in the sport that would just call it like it is. You guys are absolutely right. Angel Garcia, between every round, was saying, come on, Danny, come on. And look, just looking at the punch numbers, Danny Garcia averaged 36 punches thrown per round. That's not going to get it done in a welterweight fight. And I'm just looking, the 10th round, he threw 45, uh, uh, 46 in the 11th round, 47 in the 12th round. So he threw one-third of his punches in this fight in those last three rounds. The thing is, Thurman threw just as much or actually more over those last three rounds. And Thurman's punch numbers were consistent throughout. So that just tells you right there, Garcia was, maybe it's because he got hurt early on. He got buzzed early on, and that made him hesitant. But I think if you just look at the body language in the corners, you could see that Garcia looked a little befuddled at times and was just, he wouldn't pull the trigger. He simply let himself be outworked in this fight. And anyone who thought Garcia won this fight needs to get their damn head checked. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no way you could, there's no way you can come away from that fight saying Garcia won. I, you know, a draw, maybe. That is an absolute – that's that that's is, as far as you can stretch that's that. That's extreme right there. That's as far as you can stretch that. I, I think people slept on the the whole Dan Birmingham being in the corner of Keith Thurman coming into this fight. I mean, that's a – Dan Birmingham is a three-time trainer of the year. He ha, he is a pro's pro when it comes to trainers. I love the way he deals with fighters in the corner, in between rounds during fights. He's, he's so calm. It's mm -hmm. calm instruction reinforcement as to what's working it's not just it's not rambling and rah-rah it's and that's what angel's doing in the corner it does nothing for your fighter you have a limited amount of time to get in some instruction get it in man 
Yeah, you know, Dan Birmingham actually kind of reminds me, if you were to select a counterpart from overseas as far as as trainers who are great communicators that really understand their fighter, is Rob McCracken, who's now the trainer of Anthony Joshua, but but yeah. but made famous by um, you know, being the trainer of, of, of Carl Frotch, and that was a well documented tandem and 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 you could see through Frotch's entire career McCracken was always the realist with him always kept him level-headed always kept him focused into the moment um and and Dan Birmingham has a very similar effect and you know there's a lot to be said about their relationship going back to circumstances under which it was actually consummated Mm -hmm. but I think you you definitely saw Keith Thurman, regardless of what you thought about his game plan, regardless of what anybody thought about his tactics there to close the fight, you saw a fighter with a clear game plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look at the game plans from from the from the first round on, and then look at the adjustments and counter adjustments. Who had more levels? It was Thurman and Birmingham. They had more levels. And the thing about father son trainer fighter relationships throughout boxing history, ninety nine percent of the time you can get very far with that kind of relationship because there's a closeness there. I mean, who knows a fighter better than, you know, a father knows their son, but you get to a point where you plateau. And I think for Garcia, we've seen that the last few years, we just haven't seen growth. We haven't seen an extra dimension there. He's good enough because he had, he's very fundamentally sound and he fights uh, very centered. He has very good balance. So he's able to counterpunch and able to do just enough to beat most guys out there. But explosive fighters who can move, who are light on their feet, even ones who are fundamentally not very sound, as, as Thurman is not, are going to always give Garcia problems. And after that Mauricio Herrera fight, I would have liked to have seen the Garcia camp bring somebody in, some other trainer, to, to work on that kind of stuff. They haven't. They've plateaued. And you just saw that in this fight. It was obvious. Yeah, I definitely would like to see Garcia start moving his feet more. I mean, it just seems like as he's gotten into his late 20s, he's become such a plodding, just slow, deliberate fighter. And, yeah, you know, he does have great balance, like you said, Mike, and it allows him to stand in the pocket and be able to counter guys and and take shots and, and, and withstand them. But there's just mm-hmm. there's nothing else to his game. He's got to figure. There's got to be something added to the repertoire for Danny Garcia moving forward, or else at the at the top of the the division, he's going to struggle against all of these guys. He's got no power. He's got nothing to neutralize this. You know th- these guys at the at at the top five of the 147 pound division. I mean, I can't think of a guy. That, you know, outside of Amir Khan, you know what I mean? But, you know, what is he? Uh, where is he? Where does he reside? Um, you know, but, right. the tr- you know, but the truth is, is that Danny Garcia doesn't have anything to neutralize. It, it's one thing to be a low output uh, counterpuncher. And, and, and we've seen this as the inflated weight of Adrian Broner has consumed us over the last two years. You know what I mean? Like we've seen these guys that were devastating at at the lower weight classes because those counter shots were racers at those weight classes. But now. If you're not punching and you don't have any power and you're just kind of there, you, you got a great chin and great balance, but that tells me you're going to take a little bit of punishment. And he's taken it. It, it. it wasn't just this fight. I mean, we saw how his face looked after the Lamont-Peterson fight. He got beat up a little bit. Yeah, he got marked up. I think, um, you know, going back to, to Birmingham, uh, I'm sorry, to, to Thurman in his corner, their game plan. You know, when Thurman came out fast in that first round, 
Looking back, I think that was actually a genius move because it put Garcia on the back foot. It put him in a defensive posture. And a lot of times when he's landed those big counter punches in fights before, he could really turn over on his lead foot. He could really crank the left hook because he could, he could put his weight into it. Thurman was lunging forward and, and, and hit him with some good shots early on. And I saw Garcia more on the back foot. So when he was throwing counter hooks and he landed them, he nailed Thurman with some shots. He wasn't able to put full leverage into him. He wasn't able to even move Thurman. And, it, you know, we've seen Thurman hurt to the body before, but I think Jesus Sota Cross hurt him to the body. Who's a bigger guy, obviously, than uh, Garcia. But, you know, uh, Garcia landed some body shots. He landed some good body shots. But again, with that defensive posture, leaning backwards with his weight on that back foot, he wasn't able to turn over on him. And I, I just, I agree with you guys. Against the top fighters in the welterweight division, the guys who could move, the guys who use angles, he's going to struggle. I think somebody like, oh, Manny Pacquiao, even this faded version of Pacquiao would just pepper him from angles and make him miss so badly. It'd be a mismatch. Yeah, I, you know, you got to come away with serious, serious questions for Garcia moving forward in this division. I mean, like you said, even when he was able to counter, it seemed like for him to have the ability to land, he, he shortened his shots up a little bit more than he normally does. And he he can't afford to do that, obviously, because Thurman, I don't think at one time in that fight when Thurman got hit, did I ever notice him take even a half step backwards and if, if Danny Garcia can't do that to a fighter, to his opponent, he does not stand a chance. He really doesn't. No, and I think the loss, uh, while, while you know, and we'll get to what we uh, all scored the fight here in a second. You know, I think the loss to Danny Garcia kind of amplifies those, you know, in some people's eyes, the robberies, the Mauricio Herrera fight, the Lamont Peterson fight, you know, Ashley Theophane fight, these fights that some people think that Danny Garcia lost. I think that this kind of, even though Thurman is obviously the better fighter, more athletic, came in with the better game plan. We know all this. We've talked about all this. But Danny Garcia, kind of now, what we thought about him has been justified in most people's eyes. And that's going up against, like you were saying in the, in the very opening, Mike, about how the punch stats in this. I mean, give me a break. Keith Thurman did not throw very many punches in this fight. I mean, these guys were in here, you know, trying to... I don't know, make a name for the welterweight division and their inability to be able to put out that that many punches made Keith Thurman seem to me in my eyes a little bit lower. His bar came down from what I had perceived him to be before. I think Keith Thurman is still top three welterweight in the world. But let's be honest, this was a inactive Keith Thurman who looked sloppy and was wildly inaccurate in this fight. So it kind of, to me, puts Danny Garcia, I'm, I'm kind of patting myself on the back today. Like, I've had this guy right the entire time. <laughs> I think, you know, you're, you're dead right, and there's a lot of people out there that feel the same way. I, the way I've been talking about this uh, in the lead-up, and look, when this fight was first signed, I thought Garcia was going to win. But I've been thinking about it more and more and more. And to me, the X factors were, you know, Thurman's inactivity. He does blow up between fights. You know, he blows up in weight, stuff like that. But as it got closer and closer, it's just looking at the intangibles. And then looking at the fact, I, I kept saying, Garcia's chickens are going to come home to roost in this fight. 
you had the antics with his father that pissed a lot of people off, left a bad taste in everyone's mouth, which for me, I'm like, whatever. He's always talked like that, whatever. I, it wasn't a big deal to me. But then you also had those decisions against Mauricio Herrera and then some of the other questionable decisions uh, against Lamont Peterson and others. Now, for the record, I, I, thought, the, I thought Garcia edged the Lamont Peterson fight, but I thought Herrera clearly beat him. And I just look back at every performance since the Mauricio Herrera fight. There's been no progression. There's been no cleaning up, you know, or fixing, uh, filling the gaps in his game. None of that. And it just caught up with him in this fight. What's amazing is that one judge still found a way to give him the damn fight. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was Kevin Morgan. I somehow scored seven rounds in that fight for Danny Garcia. And I shit you not, minutes before the fight, uh, right before the, or I'm sorry, right before the decision was announced, I tweeted out, I scored this 116-112 for Thurman, could live with 115-113, but watch one of these idiots have it a draw. And I was wrong. He actually had it for Garcia. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah, I, I scored it 115-113. I think Thurman had it locked up, uh, you know, for me at least. I think by the ninth round, I had him at, at, with seven rounds on the scorecard, so he was able to coast, and he did, and, uh, you know, it's fine. I I think Keith Thurman has some big fight opportunities after this. Uh, Danny Garcia's got to go back to the drawing board. I, w- I would love to see Danny Garcia, Adrian Broner. I think that fight makes perfect sense for both of them right now. And and, and Keith Thurman can turn his eyes to, you know, uh, some some really, really big fights, possibly with Manny Pacquiao, Timothy Bradley. He's He's opened the doors a little bit. Oh, man, uh, Adrian Broner and Danny Garcia fight. You'd have to have that in like an eight-foot ring because those two's f- yeah, f- feet would be just completely just, you know, buried in concrete. Oh, my gosh, man. Um, yeah, I scored the fight once. Imagine the lead-up for that fight. God, oh, dude, it'd that be, would be a circus. It would be, it'd be train wreck after train wreck. Um, but let's close out this Keith Thurman, Danny Garcia talk. I scored at 116, 112. I was kind of surprised. I mean, I was, I was tweeting out round by round what I was scoring, but by the end I was like, I got it 116, 112, but it kind of felt more like a 118, 110 fight to me. That's what it felt like to me. Well, yeah. Thurman was clearly the better fighter. Yeah. I mean, it just, uh, you know, so the, the card for Garcia, not a surprise, but dude, the way that Jimmy Lennon just completely had him confused at the end when he thought he won. <laughs> now, I know you thought... That was awesome. Dude, he says WBA champion, right? Says uh, uh, still undefeated. The new WBA... Dude, his hand goes up and he's celebrating all excited like he just... Nope, sorry. One time, Keith <laughs> Thurman! <laughs> hey, with the Oscars and Steve Harvey, it falls right in line with all that... <laughs> oh, it's perfect. Uh, you, you stole it before I could say it, man. That's exactly <laughs> where I was going to. Oh, man. All right, so uh, Keith Thurman beats Danny Garcia, unifies the welterweight division, WBA and WBC titles now with one time. So what is the fight, before we move on to the co-feature, what is the fight for you, Mike, that you want to see that's a realistic fight? You know, anybody out there right now, what's the best fight for Keith Thurman next? There's, there's only two fights I want to see for him. Either the winner between Brooke and Spence, and obviously if Spence wins, that's a very easy fight to make. Spence said last night during the, the, the broadcast, he did a little guest commentating that he'd welcome that fight. But if Brooke, even if Brooke wins, 
Uh, Brooke has shown that he wants to fight the best. This guy fought Gennady Golovkin last year. So uh, Thurman could go over to the UK and fight Brooke in front of 50,000, 60,000 fans. It'd be huge. He could do a massive payday. He made $2 million here. He would do at least twice that fighting Brooke in the UK. Or Manny Pacquiao, if he gets by Amir Khan, which I think he will. Um, for, for Pacquiao and Thurman, I understand that it's Heyman and it's, it's, it's Bob Arum who have said they're working together, right? And they have a lot of fans believing that, but they are yet to put up two of their names against each other. And I think that this, a fight between Manny Pacquiao and Keith Thurman would prove that they really are willing to work together with A-level talent that they have, A-level names. That would be a big, big fight. Yeah, that's uh, yet to be seen, to be continued with them, with with Bob and Al actually negotiating, like you said, with two big fighters. I, you know, I, exactly. I, I think I think Pacquiao Thurman is a huge fight, but like you said, I you know, in the end, probably politics get in the way of that fight. I don't think there's any way that Thurman's camp is interested in fighting their their WBA mandatory in Lamont Peterson. They're looking for something bigger, but if they're going to slip that mandatory, they're going to have to go for a unification somewhere. So I think it's the next fight for Thurman is is, is going to be a big one. I think he's, like you said, he made $2 million this fight. He's going to be looking for big paydays now. And I, I, I just think that's where he's at as a fighter. He's not interested in definitely not fighting more than twice a year and seems to be just fine with fighting every nine to ten months. So I would expect another big, big fight from Thurman. Yeah, the unification fight with the winner of Errol Spence and Kell Brook, it just seems like too good to be true. I mean, the Pacquiao one, I get it. You know, you guys are talking about the political alliances and the complications of that and Pacquiao getting old and does Bob and Mike Cons want that for him, whatever. You know, those are definite realities in it. But if I'm Keith Thurman, I mean, a Kell Brook and an, or, or, or Errol Spence as your very next fight or, you know, maybe your last fight of this year, that's a scary proposition. If I'm Thurman, I'm telling Big Papa Al, get the Pacquiao fight done. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, it, you know, does Pacquiao want that fight, though? Because, you know, he ain't going anywhere near Terrence Crawford, and that's the fight Bob Arum would love to do, <laughs> Yeah, you know, obviously. But uh, does Pacquiao want Keith Thurman? I, I saw enough flaws in Keith Thurman's game last night that I think Pacquiao could pick apart, even this faded version. Now, possibly Thurman could catch him and hurt him and knock him out. That's possible at this stage. And we got to see how Pacquiao looks against Amir Khan. But there's just so many holes in Keith Thurman's game. And he, he's so inactive. You, you know, I think, Vince, you mentioned he fights every nine months, ten months. He can't do that anymore. If he's at that elite level now where he's only going to be taking big fights, he needs to be fighting active, and he needs good sparring. And I, I just wonder if he's getting the sparring he needs down in Florida. I tweeted out earlier this morning, He's one of those fighters that would benefit greatly from relocating to Los Angeles, at least for fight camps, in sparring out here. L.A. has the best gym scene on planet Earth right now. It's not even close. These gyms out here, there are over 100 gyms in the greater Los Angeles area with pros training there. Jesus. You can't beat it. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Within an hour or two of uh, L.A., you've got 100-plus gyms with guys who know what they're doing. So if I were Thurman, I would come out here and start working. But that remains to be seen. I, I just think that, man, if, 
if, if he can get that Pacquiao fight, even if they have to take short money, it's so worth it for them. I just wonder if Manny would want it. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on favoring Pacquiao in the fight, though, Mike. I, I mean, right now, Pacquiao is putting on uh, like this nice little renaissance. It's not, it's not a revival of the explosive Pac-Man that we saw back circa 2008, 2010. I mean, this is a, uh, you know, a renaissance of his, it's, it's a, it's a culmination of all of his boxing lessons that he's had. And we get to see this now against top opponents where we're seeing him more as, you know, a tactical fighter in the ring. And I think that his, his balance, um, his attacking style, um, you know, and just his, his ring experience. And, and, and you're exactly right. Keith Thurman's sloppiness, as much as I love this guy, I mean, I think that Keith Thurman is, is unbelievable for the future of boxing. I just don't know if the Pacquiao fight this year is the right fight for Thurman. I think he's going to have to fight two or three times and get a little bit more active and try to catch, you know, then tell uh, Al, maybe, you know what, while it sounds great now, Let's wait a year and a half and see if Pac-Man's still around. Yeah, that would that would make more sense. Let him get a little bit older. Let's let this refined version of Manny Pacquiao <laughs> exactly. age a little bit. <laughs> Slow it down. Yeah. Slow it down. All right, let's get to this co-feature. Erickson Lubin, one of the top prospects in boxing, 21-year-old kid from Florida, taking on Jorge Cota in a WBC junior middleweight eliminator. Erickson Lubin's a guy that we have been really, really high on here on the tail of the tape. We have talked mm-hmm. about him incessantly. Um, ever since he was 19 years old, ever since he was absorbed by the powers of the PBC, um, Erickson Lubin's kind of been sliding by uh, fighting guys. I mean, I don't know what the ceiling is for this guy, but the opponents that he's seen so far, and now coming into this fight with Jorge Cota, a junior middleweight eliminator fight, he is super talented, man, but I don't know if he is ready to take on even the perceived lesser of the two Charlos because the Charlos to me seem like grown men compared to this kid. Yeah. He's, he's what? 21 years old. You know, um, he, he's, there's a lot to like with Erickson Lubin. I mean, five foot nine Southpaw, uh, good power, but he's still a prospect. And I just, I, he's not ready for even the, like you said, the lesser of the Charlos, um, he fought four times last year was pretty active. But if you look at the guys he's fought, some of the records look nice, but, you know, these are guys that are kind of made to order for him. I think that uh, if, if I'm advising Lubin at this point, you know, sometimes people hear things behind the scenes. You know, one Charlo brother's already moved up in weight because he had trouble making 154. Maybe they're hearing things from the gym. You know, sometimes you send spies to a guy's gym to watch, listen. Maybe if the other Charlos having trouble making weight and they think they have an edge, maybe they go for it. But short of something like that, I think you let this mandatory pass for now. You uh, continue to build this guy up. He's only been a pro, I think, three years. I think he started in late 2013. He went pro. So develop this kid a little bit. He's only 21. Sky's the limit. There's a lot to, to build upon. But, I, you know, I, I saw some things last night that could definitely be exploited by Charlo. Yeah, it's, it's tough with Lubin because you find, you know, at least we do it on this show, we, we want fighters to be pushed quicker. Microwave them. Yeah, but, but with Lubin, he's, yeah. 20, he's 20 years old. So, I, you know, I, I definitely think there's, there's got to be another two, three fights for him against some tough, tough competition. Somebody that's going to take him to deep waters late in a fight. He's, he's not 
not ready. He, he, you're right, Ken. He seems like a child in the ring. Still, he looks like a child. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's got unbelievable power in that left hand. And, and being a quick southpaw with power is, is trouble for anybody. But they need to let this kid marinate just a little bit more. Dude, that overhand left. I'll say he, this. Go, go oh, ahead. Sorry. No, Mike, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to add on top of that, though. One thing we have to – I just – I know this. Um, he had a big moment last night. I mean, this was on primetime TV. He scored a big knockout. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a sellout crowd in front of him screaming. And in the post-fight interview, I thought he conducted himself so well. He did not sound like a 21-year-old kid. He sounded like a 30-year-old veteran. I thought he handled that moment with uh, – look, we talked about Adrian Broner a few minutes ago. How would have Adrian Broner handled that moment? What, <laughs> how much stupid shit would he have said? Oh, he'd have shit and all over himself. He handled it with class. I, I, just, I was like, man, there's so much to build upon here. you got to love this kid. He just needs more seasoning. You mentioned Adrian Broner. I always remember back when he was fighting on 130, at 135 pounds – had just gotten on HBO. He had fought the weekend before. They brought him out the, the next weekend. They're interviewing him in the crowd, and they and Adrian Broner's response to, uh, to, to one of the questions, I can't remember the question was, but he says, you could drop me naked in the jungle, and I'm coming out with rattleskin boots and a snakeskin hat. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's pretty funny. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. That's a man. the The glory days of Adrian Broner, and the guy's only twenty six years old. <laughs> Crazy. Um, no, you know what? Look, talking about the knockout of uh, of Jorge Cota. When look that overhand left is is certainly devastating. There was something very Deontay Wilder versus Arthur Spielko about that. It seemed like the punch came out of nowhere, but then you watched it on the replay, and Erickson Lubin looked like it took him a while to set that punch up. More and more I watched it in slow motion over and over and over again. I was like, holy shit. If he was standing in front of somebody like, let's just say, Jermel Charlo, like we said, the perceived lesser of the two Charlos, well, he's still a master boxer. That's kind of him, his M.O. It's his one-two. He's a straight-line guy. He's a straight-down-the-middle, upright kind of guy. You think Erickson Lubin's going to have that kind of time against the bigger Charlo? Absolutely not. There's, there's no way. And that's so it, it just speaks to the fact that it, you can see it. Everybody can see it. Yes, we want this kid to be great. We're ready to push him to, to championship level as quick as possible. But you don't want to do it at the expense of him losing a couple fights when he wasn't ready. Uh, you know, that, that just retards his career a little bit. It does. It does. It does. Um, all right. So Erickson Lubin, Jorge Cota, WBC junior middleweight eliminator that does it from the Barclays Center it was showtime on CBS Thurman Garcia Lubin versus Coda let's go ahead and uh, uh, take a trip across the pond um, over to London England it was Sky Box Office Tony Bellew versus David Hay the UK shit show this was one of the most entertaining (laughs) promotions and I and I love the gloves are off I love watching the build-ups to all these UK pay-per-views love it but this had some sentimental feel because Vin and I have kind of been talking about Tony Bellew for about three years on the show. And Tony Bellew has been one of our favorite topics. We've gone back and forth on the guy. And I think, honestly, and maybe even more so in the wake of this just, you know, I guess this is an upset. Vince has grown, and maybe it's his, uh, you know, uh, affinity for Rocky movies, but he has slowly <laughs> fallen in love with Tony Bellew over this last 12 months. The pretty, pretty Ricky won me over, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and your boy came out on top. 
I mean, that I, I, you know what? That fight was, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I'll just, this is how I felt after that fight was over. I felt like a cheap two-bit hooker that walked away from a gangbang. <laughs> I'm being dead serious. Just wearing it. I mean, yeah, it was man. just, it, it was sad. The, 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 the end of that fight up until the, the 10th round from round five on was just, it was like watching a lame animal just take an unnecessary being. That fight should have been stopped long before it was. Yeah, there's two ways to look at it. I um, it, it was a freak show, and you know, look, Eddie Hearn, man, he knows how to put on a show. The crowd there was eating it up. They did a big crowd. I'm sure it did a big uh, rate and everything over there rating. Um, but you know, remember Togate? I think that was 2011 when David Gay yeah. fought Vladimir Klitschko, and it was such a pathetic performance by him. He basically talked his way into a massive eight-figure payday he didn't deserve. And he exposed himself, in my opinion, as a complete fraud. I thought I've always thought Kay was a good cruiserweight, and he was briefly the legitimate cruiserweight champion. He unified the titles, was the guy, but he didn't stay there and really set a precedent. He immediately went to heavyweight for the money. But his whole heavyweight career has been smoke and mirrors. And I thought Vladimir Klitschko completely exposed him as a fraud, and then he blamed it on his toe. He lost all self-respect. And most fans did away with David Hay at that point, but he still had diehard fans in the UK. He had that fight against Derek Chisora that, you know, did a good raid over there and his fans loved it. That was his big moment. But with, with this fight, fighting hurt the way he did. And the, the injury this time was legitimate. I, I give him that much credit for at least trying, for at least fighting on and giving it a, a solid effort after being hurt. That being said, I agree with you guys. This looked like, I felt like when I, when I turned off my TV and walked into the kitchen and poured another beer after that fight, I thought it was almost like a walk of shame. I, just, I, shame. I, I thought like I had just went to a porn theater and rubbed one out or something. Like I felt so embarrassed at myself for having watched that. And the way that Hay was throwing right hands, oh, so bad. It, he, he was throwing wider right hands than Deontay Wilder. He was making Wilder look fundamental. And for Bellew, who you got to love Bellew's attitude, and you got to love his attitude in this whole fight. And, you know, afterwards he was saying, look, my kids are secure now. My kids' future, I'm financially set. You know, you got to love you got to love him. But if he actually knew how to cut the ring off, he could have made David Hay retire several rounds earlier. If he had cut the ring off and moved to David Hayes' left, it would have forced him to put his weight on that right ankle, and it was a snap. But he couldn't cut the damn ring off on a guy who had one fucking leg. <laughs> it was so bad. It was fun, kind of, but fun in a disgusting way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, dude. Uh, David Hay, um, it kind of reminded me of a heavyweight version of what we've seen um, from Sam Solomon over the last three years, where just, you know, he looks like Pinocchio being just bounced around on strings. His little limp legs are just flopping everywhere. Dude, th the fact yeah. that he was just kind of adjusting himself and tore his Achilles, that thing, and, you know, reports have come out, you know, since that he had done something to the Achilles in the lead-up to the fight because that thing snapped way too easily. Apparently, didn't he? I think he saw, like, a doctor in Germany maybe the week of or two weeks before. Yeah, that's before, what I heard. That's two weeks before the fight. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's the other thing that, you know, just seemed fishy. When that happened, you're like, okay, 
Um, obviously, <laughs> there was an injury coming into this fight. We had heard whispers, and, and, and this it just became clear. And after that, it just that's when to me it, it started to sink in of what was happening in front of me and what 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 was at, what I was actually a part of now. I, you got to give it to did, Eddie Hearn, man. Somebody greased David Hay up. It looked like someone <laughs> oiled him up. I mean, you guys talk about Rocky a few minutes ago, or you know, I think it was what was it, Rocky Four, where we fought the Russian, where they were just oiled up with baby oil or something. <laughs> they were glistening. That's how David Hay looked. It was kind of bizarre. Uh, I don't think it was bizarre at all. I think he just rubbed his lip gloss all over himself before the fight. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'll tell you what, man. Look. Tony Bellew, I hope that in in his level-headed comments where he talks about he's doing this for his family, I I, I completely believe all, all of his 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 genuine love and his gratefulness to uh, how his career has been able to set his family up for the future. But I hope that in the bravado part of this, in the you know uh, sort of the the post-fight shitstorm that's going on right now in the UK sports channels right now. Um, with Tony Bellew just riding high, that he doesn't allow his ego to get so inflated that he actually convinces himself that he can take on Anthony Joshua. Because old Eddie will probably make the fight for him if he wants. Oh, absolutely he will. And that is a death wish. I mean, he will not survive two rounds in that fight. And I, I think what what I found coming out of this fight with David Hay is what I thought, and Mike mentioned a little bit of it uh, earlier, David Hay was never that good. I mean, people, there's this, yep. this, this hype behind him as a fighter of, of, of the speed and power. To me, he was so damn slow. I mean, so slow. If you can't catch Tony Bellew, you are so far from fast, it's not even funny. Dude, he couldn't catch Tony Bellew while Tony Bellew was carrying three dozen donuts <laughs> in the ring during the fight. I mean, dude, Tony Bellew, I, you know, I said to Vince, I was like, before the fight, I asked him, so how does Bellew look? And he was like, well... He kind of looks like Bellew if he just grew an inch in every direction. It's the same body body type. And and that's been my perception of Tony Bellew. While I love his persona, he's always come off to me as being so beatable. But I have to give him and Eddie Hearn credit. They have maneuvered him in a way to catapult off of the notoriety and the success of his role in Creed to matchmake him in a way where he's kind of pulling a Houdini on everybody right now. You know what? And I hope he gets away scot-free. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at his cruiserweight career, you know, his last fight at like heavyweight, he was dominated and, and stopped by Adonis Stevenson. And then when he went to cruiserweight, you just look at his opponents there, man. I'm, I have it pulled up right now. He fought a bloated, faded version of Nathan Cleverly, who's probably his best opponent, and he won a split decision. But his last fight with B.J. Flores, that was the setup for this David Hay fight. Are you fucking kidding me? I mean, he's if he goes back down the cruiserweight, maybe he could make a, go for a unification fight and go for another money fight there. At heavyweight, there's absolutely nothing for him there. Uh, maybe a, a Dillian White or something. I, I wouldn't, you know, bet against that. Something like that could happen. But for David Hay, I, guys, he's one of these fighters, and we've seen several of them, that for some reason fans just have uh, an affection for the guy. I never thought he was that good of a fighter. He was a pretty damn good cruiserweight, fine. But he wasn't even a great cruiserweight. I don't even know if he's a top five cruiserweight. And that's not a division that, you know, has been stacked historically. He might be a top 10, might be a top 10 all-time cruiserweight. But he's at the bottom of that list. 
And that heavyweight has just been a joke. And I saw people tweeting yesterday, man, if David Hay just took his career more seriously, all that talent, all that talent, man, he really could have been something. I'm like, what the fuck are you watching? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I made a comment after the fight, you know, kind of just disparaging the whole ordeal, the whole, you know, Hey, Bell, you as a whole, the fight, and man. Did I? Uh, I got a UK casual attack unleashed on me, man. It was ridiculous. Oh, they'll let you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they'll get on your ass quick. They do not like when you're disparaging one of their guys, man. Nah, it's like yeah. it's like getting tackled by a mob of zombies. <laughs> you know, there's just no way to get away. Yeah, man. All right. I write for a British magazine. You know, I, I hear it all the time when I when I'm critical. The thing is, I they have some great fighters over there, man. You know, but but. You, you got to call it out the way you see it. And David Hay is just smoke and mirrors, in my opinion. Always has been. Well, you know, a guy to me who's been, uh, I guess, broken. Well, I, you know, I guess he may have been smoke, but he was definitely broken mirrors. Is Pauli Malinaji. Um <laughs> You know, I do. This is a guy that I have shown the world how much I love, how much I admire this guy. I admire, I admire his hypocrisy above all. But what is really taking me to a new level of fandom? I mean, I, you know, right now Vince is 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 signaling to me to pull my pants back up. But it's that <laughs> Paulie Malignaggi is putting himself out there to make domestic level UK fighters look like world beaters. And you know what? I love you for it, Paulie. Keep giving these guys the pedestals and the platforms to be able to leap their careers forward. On your enormous name, Paulie Malignaggi, Mike, was just knocked out for the fifth time by a guy that got beat by Bradley Skeet last year. You know, I back in the day when Paulie was fighting at 140 and put a brave performance up against Miguel Cotto, uh, I used to be a fan of Paulie's. And I, when he was briefly living in L.A., I'd see him at events and we talk. You know, we're Italian guys, so we talk some Italian to each other and he was a decent guy at one point. I don't know what the fuck happened. He just became a corporate man, uh, really lost himself. It, but here's the thing. I can't decide what's more embarrassing for him. What was a greater loss? The knockout last night or that scorecard he had for Kovalev Ward? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I just hope that that's that's it. Is that, uh, is that the last time we have to witness Pauli Malignaggi in the ring? Please. I, I hope not. I hope so. <laughs> I hope you not. hope not. <laughs> hey, man, if we could do this little victory tour, maybe Manny can uh, make a pit stop at the Barclays Center. Take <laughs> take old Polly for the Brooklyn Bell. Man. <laughs> oh, man. You know what? I, I hope that is the last time we talk about Polly Malinaji on the show. Uh, that would make me very, very happy. I will say this, though. I have an appointment on uh, on Tuesday to get my Sam Eggington portrait tattoo done. <laughs> oh man all right so that does it for the post fights we got one big preview this weekend at least it's um it's a big preview in the eyes of those that enjoy some good old uh slobber knockers in the ring um something in the spirit of of old something in the in the in the fashion of Gotti versus ward i think if there's a fight that could produce it um it could be this one march 11th hbo boxing after dark the turning stone casino which hosted uh, a great fight of the year candidate and Ruslan Provodnikov versus Lucas Matisse, a great intimate venue hosting David Lemieux versus Curtis Stevens, a middleweight scrap. And I'll tell you what, guys, you tell me what you guys think about this fight, but I'll tell you right now, this fight all hinges on Curtis Stevens. Curtis Stevens shows up ready to bang with David Lemieux. 
this thing will be a fight of the year candidate. If Curtis Stevens shows up um, reluctant, uh, maybe a little out of shape like he, he did against Hassan Endom, David Lemieux is going to decapitate uh, this version of Curtis Stevens much in the same way that Gennady Golovkin did. I agree. Curtis Stevens is one of those guys that it's, it's interesting. There's no real reason, rhyme or reason to it, but sometimes he just shows up for a fight almost disinterested. He just looks flat. And we've seen him do that uh, several times in recent years. And then he shows up some nights looking sharp, looking good. Uh, the last time I saw him was on, I think it was the Canelo Khan undercard. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that. I know it was one of the Vegas undercards uh, where he looked great. And I think he fought uh, Patrick Teixeira, yep, yep, uh, right. who was undefeated Brazilian fighter at that time. And was kind of a windmill, had gone in there and looked really strong, really good. And I thought, from a promotional standpoint, that Stevens was kind of brought in to, to take an L in that fight. And he went out there and just mopped the floor with this guy. And it's like, man, where the hell has that guy been? You know, and if that's who shows up against David Lemieux, and look, we can say the same thing for Lemieux. He showed up for some fights recently where he missed weight, where he's like bloated. You know, uh, some people say he cashed out against Golovkin, but then we've seen other performances where he's looked sharp. The thing is, like, these two guys at their best, I think Lemieux has the better fundamentals he, um, both these guys could just come forward and want to bang, but I just think there's a few more dimensions to Lemieux's game. So at their best, you have to favor Lemieux, but I think it comes down to who lands first, honestly. Vince, let me ask you this about Lemieux. Mm-hmm. I, just to kind of you know capitalize on a, on a great point by Montero, I think really that X factor that, that, that separates these two as far as their skill set is, it's pretty simple. I think David Lemieux punches with both hands, and I don't think Curtis Stevens does that. No, Kurt, Curtis needs that big left hook, and you guys both touched on it. I mean, it, it it's it's simple as this coming into this fight. Is the paycheck collecting Curtis Stevens coming to the ring, or is the Curtis Stevens I want to fight coming to the ring? Because, you know, he, and we saw it in David Lemieux's last performance too, to be honest, against uh, is it Fabian Christian Rios or mm-hmm. something like that. He did not look that good, and I know he won all three cards going away. But it's just a fight where these two guys both need a major performance if they're going to get to where they want to, you know, Lemieux get back there and Stevens, who hasn't been there in three years now in a big fight to get a big paycheck. Everything leads to this being should be a hell of a fight. Throw the way, they, the, the way these guys fight on top of it. You never know with either one of these guys. They're inconsistent performers in the ring. That's It's as simple as that. So what's your prediction for the fight, then? I think David Lemieux shows up ready to fight. I think there's a possible big paycheck with, with a fight with uh, Canelo on the table for him. So he needs a big performance. And I, I'd expect him to stop Curtis Stevens late in this fight. Michael Montero. Well, one extra point. Uh, how bad did HBO need this? Because they, they, they've had a rough start to the year. HBO needed this fight. I, I'm talking regular HBO, not pay-per-view. It, it needed this in a big way. But, you know, we've seen matchups like this before where we thought, man, we're guaranteed a fight of the year candidate. Where it, quite, it didn't quite live up to expectations. And for me, Provodnikov matisse comes to mind. That was a good fight. But we thought it was going to be just bombs away, right? And I think that's what's going to happen here. I think this is going to kind of 
It's going to be a good fight. We're going to see a knockout. But I wouldn't be surprised if the first three or four rounds, these guys fight a little more tentative than everyone's expecting. That being said, I like Lemieux by mid to late round stoppage. Yeah, I just uh, I think the the X factor in this fight is I I and 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 maybe my perception of Lemieux is muddled by my infatuation with his aggressiveness in the ring. I mean, this guy is a buzzsaw. He's a definition of a mm-hmm. buzzsaw. He's at his best when he comes out to rip your fucking head off right in the first three rounds. I think he knows. He's. I, I think David Lemieux is willing to test the opportunity of him getting hit with a Curtis Stevens left hook. I think he's going to bulldoze him, and I think this thing ends fast and furious. Give it to me inside four rounds, David Damn. Lemieux. Um, dude, the clock is ticking on Curtis Stevens. David Lemieux's had some hiccups. He's had weight problems in the past, dedication, partying issues in his early 20s. But he's been around for such a long time. He's young, yeah, still young. Most people think that David Lemieux's like 32 years old. No, no, no. That's Curtis Stevens in this fight. Yeah. David Lemieux is a much younger fighter. Now, who's worse for where? I don't know. They were both on the receiving ends of pretty epic beatdowns by Triple G. Um, but I think this is to make David Lemieux look good on his way to a Canelo fight. And I, God, God, I pray that that is just a midsummer fight, you know, one little tough fight for Canelo on his way to that glove can fight and that it's not the replacement for the September fight. Well, he's got to, you have to think that Canelo has to face a true big punching middleweight before he gets in the ring with triple G. It has to happen. Hey, you, Ch- you would think Chavez at, Can- at super Canelo weight. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> who's who's going to win that fight? Huh? Yeah, right. You see Chavez is down to two ten now. Two ten. Two ten. Chavez is going to be a skeleton in that fight, man. You just have to go with Canelo. But it's going to be interesting to see uh, because there's no rehydration clause. So, you know, it's going to be a cruiserweight fight, honestly. And I don't know if you guys have seen some of the the photos from their little press run that they did. I think they were in four different cities. Man, Chavez is so much bigger. They got him in heels. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I just right. think they got his uh, they got his hair quaffed out extra, extra for this one. Um, He's definitely got that '80s hair quaff going for real. Yeah, it's dynamite. I love it. I love it. Um, speaking of a guy that it seems like he debuted back in the '80s, um, has somehow made his way. I guess his allowance, his monthly allowance, ran out from Fifty Cent. Maybe it was the whole bankruptcy thing. I don't know. But it seems like Yuri Orcus Gamboa has finally made a decent decision in his career in signing with Oscar De La Hoya's Golden Boy. Now, he may be a day late and a dollar short, but I tend to lean on the side of Yuri Orcus Gamboa is probably, outside of that Terrence Crawford fight, one of the freshest 35-year-olds in the entire sport. (laughs) And I don't care about – there was mad shade thrown on this fight, the Gamboa versus Rene Alvarado fight in his debut with Golden Boy. I'm telling you right now, I don't care where Yuri Urkis Gamboa fights because back in the day, I used to watch me some Yuri Gamboa on ESPN Friday Night Fights, and I thought that this dude was going to take the fucking world by its balls. Uh, you got to love that he's back. Uh, you know, what, the inactivity and everything aside, and is, is he probably a little bit of a shadow of what you were just talking about? Of course. Yeah, but the guy has, I, I, can, I can almost guarantee he has at least two or three very entertaining good fights left in the tank that uh, you know, I'd love to see him against 
a bunch of guys at 135 pounds. So oh yeah, let's let's bring it. I'm glad he's back in the mix. What do you think, Mike? I think this is great matchmaking. And Golden Boy Promotions, they really know what they're doing when they match these guys up. So Rene Alvarado, for those of you out there listening who uh, don't know much about this guy, uh, he gave Joseph Diaz, really good uh, featherweight prospect, a good, tough fight back in 2015, but that was at 126. In his last fight, he gave Jason Velez, a good Puerto Rican fighter, a tough fight. He actually won by split decision. That was a 130-pound fight. So now against Gamboa, uh, it's going to be at 135. Gamboa hasn't fought in almost a year and a half. So th- this is good matchmaking with a guy who has very limited skills, but is tough. He goes rounds. He's only been stopped once in his entire career. So this is set up for Gamboa to work off some rust in the early rounds. Uh, he's probably going to get hit a few times, but they're, they're going to be glancing shots thrown from crazy angles because this guy doesn't throw straight punches. And then in the middle round, he'll chop him down. He's going to score a concussive, huge knockout. And it's going to look really, really good for him. Um, at that point, we can see what, you know, what he's got left. I just question with some of these Cuban fighters, it's hard to know because they're pushed into boxing in that system down there. Um, you know, I won't get into a bunch of political shit with Cuba. <laughs> but a lot of these guys really box for because it's their job. They don't really, they don't know what else to do. It's all they know. You look at a guy like Iris Lara, right? There's a perfect example, a guy with good skills, but he just looks like a disinterested guy who's punching into a job he hates every time he fights. Gamboa was one of the few Cubans, though, who punched explosively, seemed to really enjoy fighting, was exciting. Does he still have that? You know, does he still have that? Or is this a little bit of a comeback or just signing with Golden Boy? And by the way, 50 Cent is still getting options as part of this deal, you know. Some of this money is still going to 50 Cent. So he, he owes people money that he hasn't even spent yet. How much of this is a business thing for the money versus doing it for the love? We'll find out. Yeah, we'll find out real quick based on this performance. And, you know, it's it's – it's sad because you see that with so many Cuban fighters. He's not the only one. I mean, Rigondeau seems to have issues with being able to make fights, and even when he does make fights, he's not. He doesn't make any money, and they just all these Cuban guys. And you see it with Luis Ortiz as well. There's something that holds them back in their careers. Well, they have they have so many mouths whispering in their ear to, to yep. defect from Cuba. You, you basically, and look, some of it goes into organized crime to just put it out there and just tell the truth. Like, oh, I've yeah. been around enough of these guys and talked to them off the record. I can't name names, but it goes into organized crime. And to help them defect, to help them get away, before they even get here and start their pro career, they owe people money. And I'm talking six figures. Yeah, that's sad. They owe people money. So they have so many people whispering in their ear, you know, they're, they're already behind before they get started. It's sad. Yeah, you got you got hands in the in your pockets of the, these guys are uber talented fighters, and they just never ever reach their full potential earning wise or or fame wise in, in boxing. It's it's one of the sadder things in the sport, man. Oh, but it's like a sickness, man. Just it just it's a gift that keeps on giving, like syphilis. <laughs> There you go. <sighs> All right, so we got one. I don't even know if we really want to talk about this too much. Apparently, there's this. Uh, this heated rivalry that dates back to the amateurs that's about to take place for the WBA Junior Varsity. 
154-pound belt between Jack Colke and Demetrius Andrade. I don't know if he is just in timeout because of all of his bullshit as far as his dealings with him and his uh, promoter. It, It seems, you know, we talked about smoke and mirrors before, but this is a guy who just either cannot get out of his own way or just really does not like boxing and is trying to use smoke and mirrors to dupe us all. But I think the Unless something happens within three or four months of this Kalke fight for Demetrius Andrade, is Demetrius Andrade any more relevant after this fight? I mean, what's the point of this? Man, you talk about another guy that's just just a waste. You know, of all the young prospects that were coming up in the 154-pound division over the last few years, when he originally came, was starting to bubble up, Demetrius Andrade, that was the guy I looked at and said, man, you know, one day this guy could really challenge Golovkin at 160 if Triple G sticks around at 160. Andre is six foot one. He's a southpaw. He's got very good skills, um, just style-wise. And, and because of his, his size and his stature and he fights tall, he poses stylistic problems for anybody. But in boxing, that's not enough. You know, this isn't basketball or football. You have to have that extra element in boxing. And just looking at the guy the last few years, you know, you, you brought up the, the promotional situation, and, and that's valid. But he has become a complete non-factor. No one knows who this guy is. Only, not even boxing casuals know who Demetrius Andre is. Only diehards do. And he's got to look really good against Colke. This is a fight nobody is really excited about except maybe for some people in Germany. I don't know. But he, it, he's got to fight three or four times this year to get back in the mix, in my opinion. And we, we know that's not happening. <laughs> I mean, that is just yeah. not happening with him. It, it's a shame because, you know, you constantly hear him. He's always got seems to have a microphone shoved in his face when he's not fighting. And he'll constantly, you know, gives the I'm avoided, I'm avoided, nobody wants to fight me. And that very well might be the case with 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 a couple guys at the top of that division, I mean, you talk about a, a division that just has no direction. Still, you know, with the Charlo Williams fight, we kind of started to get a little bit of of direction as to figuring out like who is actually the best 154 pounder in the world. Because there's four or five of them, and you go, wait, well, yeah, they're all all damn good. But are we ever going to get to see these guys fight each other? It, it, it's just a shame that this guy, you know, in this fight with Colke, that nobody in America is going to see nobody's going to watch this fight unless you're streaming it, which, you know, nerds like us three will probably do. Oh, <laughs> speak for yourself on this one. <laughs> well, I see, yeah. I don't mind. I don't mind Andre's fighting style. I think he's a damn good fighter, but it just boils down to what Mike said. You, it doesn't matter how damn good you are. One fight a year is not going to do it, man. It's just not. <laughs> no, especially as a prospect. No. Oh. And, you know, I was I, I covered the, the Charlo Williams fight because I was here in L.A. And Demetrius Andre crashed the party. It's like you said, he got a mic in his face and talked trash to Charlo, even though Charlo knew before he even took that fight that he was going to go to 160 afterwards. So all the trash talk between them was pure bullshit. Um, but he talks a good game. He just doesn't fight. That's the problem. Well, and he'll just uh... – you know, continue to just fall into the netherland of 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 boxers, you know, um, that are immensely talented and never fulfill uh, those lofty expectations. They're running out of space down there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh man! All right. So, 
One last little news and note, Mike, and we'll let you go. Um, this fight was announced, and, uh, you know, <laughs> both fighters appeared um, as soon as the broadcast went live for CBS this past weekend at Thurman Garcia on CBS. And you know what? This fight, <laughs> the tone of these fighters in the interview as they're being interviewed there live on CBS, kind of, I felt like they had the same amount of emotion and reaction and just confusion in their hearts as I did when I read the tweet announcing this fight. Sean Porter and Andre Berto will be squaring off on Showtime, apparently as the headliner, April 22nd um, at the Barclays Center. And both guys just seemed like, well, I don't really, I don't really want this fight, but uh, I guess uh, this is what I'm going to do. So, uh, yeah. Good, good luck selling tickets. <laughs> I was sorry, man, I cut you off. I was just going to say it was interesting to watch because you could tell they wanted to say more. You could, they <laughs> yeah. obviously are frustrated that they've been sitting on the sidelines. I mean, Sean Porter had a pretty good scrap with Keith Thurman last year and hasn't done a fucking thing since. It's going to be almost a year out of the ring for him when he fights Birdo. And you could tell they, want, they kind of started going down that road because uh, the commentator asked, Porter, you know, why not a rematch with uh, Thurman? You go, and you, you could tell Porter wanted to say, because of fucking Al Heyman. But he couldn't, <laughs> you know? So he kind of held it. You know, well, because I wanted to fight Andrew Verde. Yeah. It's like, if you're a casual boxing fan that don't, doesn't understand the in and outs like we do of the, the promotional situation, how do you get excited seeing those two guys, quote-unquote, hype up their match? There was no hype. No, they're they're going to have so much trouble selling tickets in this fight. The the viewership numbers will be down. It's just that you, Andre Berto is just viewed as a guy that I I don't even know why they they still think his name carries some type of value on a guy's record. Like, hey, he's coming off a win against Berto. Well, that that doesn't mean shit to me or anybody else that that pays attention to boxing anymore. Andre Berto is a shadow of himself. Uh, <laughs> this this fight is what it is. I. What you got to think about with, with, you know, the frustration that clearly these guys were showing is when are some of these guys' contracts with Al Heyman coming up and coming to an end? And are we going to start seeing an exodus of PBC fighters? Because we've seen it with Martirosian. I can't remember. Somebody else was just, just left. Their contract came up. Uh, are we going to see Sean Porter and these guys that have to be clearly frustrated walk? They have to, don't they? Well, at some point, you're you're part of the problem as well. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, your willingness to stay. It's like you know, it's like being the abused in a, in in an abusive relationship, and you don't and you don't leave. <laughs> yeah, you, you know what I mean? I mean, look, yeah. the truth about Andre Berto is this: whatever myth there was behind this game, uh, you know, whatever value was added for him to be the final opponent of Floyd Mayweather, blah 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 blah. blah. The fact is this: since 2011. Since he took that loss to Victor Ortiz, he has lost four out of his last eight fights, dating back six years. Yeah. So no wonder Andre Berto is sitting there with that look of disgust on his face saying, so, uh, yeah, there was a possible talk about a possible Danny Garcia fight. And he basically says, well, yeah, that's who I wanted to be knocked out by. But I guess I'll be knocked out by Sean Porter instead. <laughs> you know what I mean? The only thing good about uh, about a Berto return is the hashtag Camp Berto on Twitter. <laughs> oh, that's epic yeah. entertainment for sure.
Oh, man. So does Birdo stand a chance that's, in that's this fight? That's a tough sell. Oh, that's horrible. How, how many – don't you think that this fight would be more fitting for, like, the Madison Square Garden Ballroom, the theater? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this is the problem when you have too many fighters uh, on your uh, your team for Al Heyman, right? He has upwards of 200 guys. And when you have guaranteed contracts and they have to get a certain amount of money for each fight, that's why these guys sit on the sidelines for so long. Because, and look, you brought it up. Some of this falls on the fighter. You know, if I was advising a fighter coming up right now, I would say, man, you need to stay active. You're going to have one or two big fights a year where maybe you're making six figures or something. If you get to the million-dollar scale, cool. But you need to have two or three fighters fights a year on undercards where you're making 10 grand, 20 grand just to stay busy. Fight a guy that has a record of 40 and 30. So what? Just stay busy. But these guys have these guaranteed contracts. And for Al to be able to pay them the amount that they're guaranteed, they can only fight once a year sometimes. And with Porter and Birdo, there's maybe a few matchups for them that we'd be interested in, but not many with the political landscape in boxing right now that are makeable. So we get matchups like this that nobody really wants. It's going to be a headliner. It's just, this is going to be the epitome of a papered arena. Come fight night, you know, in Barclays, it's going to, it's going to be papered. They're going to have to give away tickets and it's not going to do a great rating. You got to favor Sean Porter Here's the thing that, you know, worries me. If he wins this fight, are we going to see him against Lamont Peterson? Yeah, it's exactly who you'll see him Probably. against. That's exactly yeah. who. It, it, it's, it's these guys that are just in this. They're in like the purgatory of the PBC. They're just kind of floating in between reality and waste. You know what I mean? Like this fight to me, look, I think Sean Porter's a good guy, but... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna watch this fight because I think Sean Porter's a good guy. I, for as much of a good guy as I think he is, I also think he's an idiot for selling his soul to the devil. So he gets stuck with this. We get stuck with this. On April 22nd, I hope that there is a Baltimore Orioles versus New York Yankees game at Oriole Park at Camden Yards because that's <laughs> what I'm going to be doing that night. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, the the interest level in this fight, I just can't see it picking up as the fight approaches. I, there's just no redeeming qualities this fight it, it, it is what it is man it's sean porter's gonna win it's a fight for sean porter to get back on the right track and get him lined up for a fight with danny garcia lamont peterson something along those lines agreed and i just for andre birdo he's getting close to the point where his people need to have a talk with him you know when i've seen him in person recently uh, just kind of walking through the bowels of some of the arenas and stuff at fights and you talk to him. I've done little quick interviews with him. He's starting to get a heavy tongue and he's taken a lot of punishment. He's one of those guys that does a lot of sparring. He loves the spar and the guys that do <clears throat> too much heavy sparring, you know, James Tony comes to mind. Tony wouldn't even fucking train. He would just spar for eight weeks. That was his <laughs> fight camp. He's just one of those guys, man, where his corner or his team He's going to start having to talk with him because, as you said, he's lost four of his last eight fights. What's he fighting for at this point? He cashed out against Mayweather. When he loses this fight, he will have lost five of his last nine. <laughs> Why are you still fighting? Why? What's the point? Oh, I asked him. I, 
I asked that about Robert Guerrero, all these guys that have kind of been, you know, just used as platforms to, I guess, half-ass promote stars like Heath Thurman and Danny Garcia. Because that's pretty <laughs> much, you know, originally you had yeah. to get through Berto to get to Floyd, right? Now you got to get through Berto for what? Floyd's retired. So does that mean if Porter wins this fight, he gets Floyd next? <laughs> Conor McGregor's going to oh. be pissed, guys. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't believe I just brought that up. I told myself I'd never even <laughs> mention that. Oh, unbelievable. All right, so I guess we'll go ahead and leave episode 151 right there um, with the Porter versus Berto talk. There is a lot to be decided out there um, in 2017. The year's off to a good start. Not every fight is going to live up to the billing, but Keith Thurman um, walks out the WBA, WBC unified welterweight champion of the world, Tony Bellew makes uh, whatever kind of statement, however you want to wear it, if you like lapping it up, if you like just putting it on your shoulder or putting it in your pocket, deal with it. <laughs> to- right. Tony Bell, you beats David Hay, and what's next is next, and you will still buy it. Um, <laughs> but yeah. m- most importantly on episode 151, um, uh, I'd just like to thank you, uh, Michael Montero, for stopping by the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. It's been great having you on the show, man. Good stuff, Mike. Thank you so much, guys. I had a blast. Uh, love talking boxing with people who know what they're talking about. So let's do this again, man. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, let them know where you are at, where they can find all of your great boxing banter out there in the universe. Cool. Um, well, I'm on YouTube, Twitter, all of that stuff and with the handle Montero on boxing. So find me on YouTube, uh, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. I write for Boxing Monthly Magazine. So if you're a subscriber there, you can see some of my work. Uh, I'm doing a piece right now on VADA. I just met with um, the, the VADA people last week in Vegas. So I'm putting together a piece right now for Boxing Monthly Magazine. should be out in the next month or so. And then uh, I work with Undisputed Champion Network and, and several other places. Just Google me. You'll find my stuff out there. Keep doing what you're doing, brother. You're, uh, you're doing a hell of a job, that's for sure. Thank you very much. There you have it, folks. Michael Montero. Joining us here for the Thurman versus Garcia post fight on episode 151 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. All right, Vin, let's rock and roll. Let's get out of here. Let's ride, brother. Yeah, let's do it. It is episode 151 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. Big up to Michael Montero. Back to back weeks, Doug Fisher from RingTV.com. Michael Montero from Montero on Boxing. We might, we might see Mike again here uh, real shortly, huh? Yeah, I hope so. We'll have to have him back on real, real soon. All right, big up to Michael Montero once again. Hit him up at Montero on Boxing. You've been dialed in to episode 151 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing podcast here on theboxingrant.com. I'm Kenny Keith. Follow me on Twitter at Kenny Keith Jr. And follow Vince Cummings at Vince Cummings 81. We'll be back next week with episode 152 as we bring you the preview of the HBO pay-per-view as Gennady Golovkin squares off against Danny Jacobs. You ready for that one, Ben? Oh, it's going to be a good one, buddy. Yes, yes, sir. Some questions will be put to bed. They will indeed. But until then, we'd like to thank all of you once again for tuning in to the 151st episode of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. Drop by today. To the boxingrant.com. Muchas gracias, everybody.